You kill my daddy, you gots to die. What's up, Story Geeks? It's Jay. We are geeks, we admit it, we own it, and we love geek stories, science fiction, fantasy, and comic books, which is why we dig deeper into the characters, plot lines, and themes that appear in geek stories. And we'd love for you to join our conversation. Make sure you're subscribed on our blog, iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or YouTube, and leave us a comment. If you're watching live on YouTube, which many of you are right now, you can even ask us questions while we're streaming. But it's tough for you to do that if you're not subscribed, so start there, click that subscribe button, and make sure you give us a like while you're at it. Thanks for listening in. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. That's right. So what's up, Story Geeks? I'm Daryl, and today our topic is Black Panther. So we're preparing for the new Black Panther movie, um, but we're going to dig deeper into his character from Captain America Civil War. So we're going to look back to look forward. So, and we might even talk about comics a little bit. In fact, I can guarantee we will talk about comics because I'm really excited about it. So, yeah. And our guests, actually, one of our guests is super into comics. Yeah. So, uh, I'm going to introduce our guests. Our first guest is Hannibal Taboo. He has been on the podcast before. I've actually interviewed him on the podcast, and he was also a guest for Rogue One. How you doing, Hannibal? I cannot complain. It's a beautiful life. <laughs> <laughs> and I love Hannibal's voice as well. Um, so, very soothing. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to let you talk a little bit about what you're up to, Hannibal, but before I do that, I also want to do, introduce Michael Young, and if you're a listener of the Story Geeks podcast, you know Michael Young. He's been on the show, uh, how many times now, Michael? Uh, three, times? three times? Three times, I Twice? think. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Justice League, The Phantom Menace. That five-timers jacket is right around the corner. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Race you. <laughs> exactly, you guys are like neck and neck. Hannibal, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're up to? Um, we know you're a comic book writer, so tell us a little bit about some of the stuff you've been writing and releasing. Yes, sir. So much going on right now. It's been a really busy January for me. Uh, we started with my creative studio released Minthu, The Anger of Angels, which is a 72-page original graphic novel, self, totally self-contained, that uh, has a, an ancient Egyptian superhero based in Los Angeles being threatened by actual angels and demons so that's a big book it's on amazon it's at heidi ho and uh manhattan beach's comic bug in the los angeles area uh it's 72 pages for 10 bucks which the big boys will definitely will not give you that much story and that's great um i was also in the mine anthology supporting planned parenthood alongside neil gaiman gail simone and nascenti barbara kessel uh paul levitz mark wade lots of big names like that and for some reason they asked me to be in there too uh, <laughs> that came out last week, and I'm enormously proud of that work, supporting the idea of women's health. Uh, I was also in, ironically, a poetry anthology that came out this week called Voices from Lamert Park Redux, which is available online. Uh, They've asked me back. I was in the first volume, and they've asked me back for the second volume. We did a big reading last Wednesday in Los Angeles. That was really big for me. Uh, there's only five more things. Hang tight. So... <laughs> 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 Wildfire Wednesday is a free webcomic on Operative.net that I do every week uh, with Quinn McGowan, my creative partner in the studio. And uh, it's a superhero story set in a southern city where a flying guy beats up giant monsters, but there's so much more going on than that. Uh, I have two, col- uh, sorry, two miniseries from Wonderman Comics, which is Scoundrel and Irrational Numbers, both two historical fiction pieces. One's got vampires, oddly enough. And uh, finally, I'm just going to stop at this one. Finally, I'm doing Black Comics Day in San Diego at the Malcolm X Library on February 17th. 
and I'll be hosting a panel with Professor John Jennings, uh, David Walker, who wrote uh, Power Man and Iron Fist, and a special guest that I am going to announce later because I don't 100% know his name, but he's in animation. So, uh, <laughs> Super cool, though. That's awesome. Now, are you still doing um, the comic reviews? I can't believe I forgot that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> every Thursday at Comic Book Resources, you'll find the Buy Pile, which is a comic book review column that's been there since 2006. And uh, I review as many books as I can to see what's going on around comics. And, uh, and you know, it, it, it's very it's very Siskel and Ebert. Either you're with me or you're not with me. And I, I totally understand whichever way you're going to go. <laughs> That's awesome. And it's also probably something you're going to talk about in our, in our first question coming up because we're talking about comics a little bit, too. Um, so thank you for joining us, Hannibal. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Michael, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? All right. Well, I have uh, Nerd Soul Online, which is a channel pretty much focused around pop culture, uh, geek and commentary based on the properties that we all know and love. Uh, I review a lot of kind of, I guess you could say, mid-tier and indie comics as well because I try to, you know, hold it down for the guys that might not get as much shine. Um, I do movie reviews every week. Uh, this week I've covered uh, Star Trek Discovery, Black Lightning, uh, the Godzilla movie that dropped on Netflix. So those are the type of things uh, that you can catch me on. Uh, I will be doing something with SodaFlix on YouTube soon, but not there just yet. And th this February, well, sorry, not this February, now in Black History Month, <laughs> every, <laughs> it's always that last and first day that mess you up. But this, uh, this month, every single Tuesday, I, along with a whole bunch of other like uh, um, black geeks, will be doing events at Scum and Villainy uh, from 7 to 10, uh, based around Black Panther. And uh, you guys should definitely come out if you are in the L.A. area. Dude, that sounds super cool. That, I'm, I am encouraged. I, I would come down. I wouldn't want to go there anyways. So. Yeah, so see, now here's your chance. Yeah. I will say that um, Hannibal and Michael are some of the most prolific reviewers that I am aware of, actually. Wow. They're you reviewing everything. <laughs> yeah. If, 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 you ha if, you, if Hannibal didn't review it, there's almost a 100% chance that Michael did. <laughs> wow. um, cool. We are going to dig deeper into Black Panther. Uh, and this movie is uh, early reviews seem good. It's getting a lot of pre-sales. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be really exciting to see this. We're going to spend most of our time talking about Black Panther as he appears in the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which means we'll be talking about his appearance in Captain America's Civil War. Because, again, this is basically us prepping for the solo film that he is coming out in. Uh, but before we go there, um, and I'm going to start with you, Hannibal, on this one. Have any of okay. you been longtime Black Panther fans? And how do you feel about Black Panther's origins and his story as told in the comics? Well, I really got on board with Black Panther with Christopher Priest's Marvel Knights run. Uh, I'd seen Black Panther, of course, because, you know, uh, being, you know, a black comics fan growing up in Memphis, anybody black in the comics, you're going to see them, you're going to look for them, and you're going to try to see what they're doing. But he was almost always standing in the background, and ironically, so this is played upon early in Priest's run, that he never really did anything really impressive. And his own book, which had time-traveling frogs and a midget with an eye, with like a monocle, it was all very ridiculous at the time. Kind of the way that a lot of people look at like the Tom Baker Doctor Who. But uh, when you read 
priest's run, it gave resonance and meaning to all those things. I won't spoil any of it, but uh, that's why I really got on board as a fan of Black Panther all the way in. And he showed the relevance and the possibility of the character, uh, which finally was realized. So I've definitely been a fan since then. There used to be, my favorite week was when once there was used to be Black Panther and Transmetropolitan used to happen the same week every month, and it was the best freaking week ever. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. uh, that's, that was where my real grounding in the character came from. I had an understanding of him prior to that because, I, you know, like I said, it's not like I wasn't going to pay attention to the black guy. But it was good to see uh, him taken on by somebody who really had an appreciation for what the character could be. What about you, Michael? Uh, I came on at uh, Reginald Hutland's run. So when, well, I knew about him earlier before. He had been in uh, a couple of the animated series, like, you know, just here and there sprinkled in. Um, and I remember, like, seeing him in some comic pages, but I just knew him as the Black Panther. I didn't really know anything about his origins and this, that, and the third. But when, I guess I was, I was in... I was in Marvel Heavy at the time when Reginald Hudlin's stuff started. So I picked it up. Um, I really loved it. The art was on point for me. So I stuck around. Uh, the stories were great because I love how they kind of weaved how he dealt with his life as a king and how he dealt with his country standing amongst the world. Um, because he dealt uh, in that... Um, I guess in that run, he dealt with, you know, the X-Men some, he dealt with like the UN and stuff. He dealt with like Iron Man, Captain America and stuff like that. So he really, he really got a chance to show every single part of his being, not just, hey, I'm the king, but I'm the king. I'm also a fighter. I'm also getting married to Storm. I'm also, you know, running around trying to, you know, help people out. I'm also defending my country, tons of stuff. And um, I had a ball, especially this there were a couple of issues where Black Panther, Luke Cage, Blade, and I think Falcon were together for like two issues or like one issue real quick. Yep. And it was it was super cool. It was when um Black Panther was about to get married or something and they went out to like a like I don't know, a bachelor's party or something like that. Uh but it was really cool just to see them all together. Um of course Blade wasn't too keen on getting people's help, but it was still fun to see all of those guys together at once. Yeah, that's awesome. What about you, Daryl? You know, so you know that feeling when you discover a new TV show that is amazing? Like maybe the first time you watch Stranger Things. Oh, yeah. Or if you've never seen a Star Wars movie before or something like that. That's kind of how I feel right now. I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to Black Panther growing up mm -hmm. just because I was more of a DC fan. And my Marvel exposure was mostly X-Men. So it wasn't until later that I started getting into, like, you know, Iron Man and the Avengers and stuff. And by then, Black Panther wasn't part of the Avengers anymore. Hmm. So I feel like I'm late to the party because I've been diving in. And, Michael, you talk about Reginald Hudlin's run. I've got it right here in front of me because <laughs> I started reading it this week, and I'm, like, I'm loving it. So I'm, hmm. I'm so excited for the movie. I was already excited for it, but now I'm even more excited for it because... The more I dive into this character, the more intriguing he is to me. So Yeah, that's cool. Um, Hannibal, did you have something else you want to say? Yeah, I forgot something. That, uh, one of the things that I learned after reading the pre-run, especially the interviews he did, was that 
I, because I was too young, I, I didn't even exist when the original Black Panther, you know, comics came out with the uh, Fantastic Four that he, you know, beat the premier super team a, a, in Marvel, like, by himself. And, and the idea that they had created a non-colonized African country using Ethiopia as their template because most of the countries in Africa were conquered by one European party or another. But uh, Ethiopia and the mythical Wakanda had never seen foreign invaders really take over their shores. Ethiopia eventually was taken over in like, like the 50s or something. But um, it was... It, it's a very different perspective from the idea that most people have and the, the new the things that they see on the news or on television about continental Africa. And using that difference was a conscious choice that Stan and Jack made. And I really mm -hmm. appreciated that. And I was sorry that it kind of fell by the wayside for the other storytelling that was happening. And ultimately, by the time I was born, wasn't even relevant. So D Priest brought that back, I believe. So can I ask you a quick question, Hannibal? As a as a longtime fan, obviously, has the aspect of Wakanda being technologically advanced always been there, or did they bring that in later? No, that was always from the start, because when uh, St Stan and Jack had Reed uh, get an invitation from T'Challa, that he was like, what is this invitation? It's so high tech, and it's coming from, what's happening? I got to go see what this is. And they go into Wakanda, and they're like, this is actually better than the Baxter building. This is actually <laughs> way better than our stuff. And T'Challa proceeds to literally whoop the entire group by himself. And remember, he didn't have, this is before he even had the vibranium suit. He was just a guy in, like, a, a, an outfit. So, <laughs> wow. And he handled them using nothing but Wakandan technology. And the idea that Wakanda was ahead of and concealed from most of the world was always a part of uh, it and, and something I really thought was really forward thinking of Stan and Jack to put that in there. Awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. As for me, I have never read a Black Panther comic. Now, before you... Well, I'm not done with this one, so you can't... Well, you can't after you're done, you. I will want Stone to the it. heretic. Yeah. Stone him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, now, to be to be totally fair, I'm not a big comics reader. I love comics. I just haven't read a plethora of comics. Nowhere nowhere near close to the rest of the people on this podcast. Um, so, as I look at the character, I'm pretty excited just to explore um, his character in more depth. In fact, I was in preparation for this podcast. I was kind of going through some of the history of the character um, himself. And in, I'm really glad uh, to hear you say, Hannibal, that um, Stan and Jack did a good job with it. Because when I first read that the comic came out in 1966 and it was those two guys that did it, I'm going, oh, that could be problematic, right? Mm. There are elements that are not perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I won't deny that. <laughs> yeah. But it's good to hear that there was something to take from it, um, even in the lack of that perspective. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad for that. Um, I was also really surprised that the name Black Panther was not associated with the group the Black Panther group, they came out literally in like the same year. Mm. And yet, interesting. Yeah, then they were not associated. Now I was actually like, oh, wow, that's like, talk about coincidence. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that that would come out in the same time. The cultural zeitgeist sometimes, you know, churns up a common idea in multiple places from multiple people. Uh, and this was a case of that, you know, Stokely Carmichael and the Student Nonviolent Co Coordinating Committee were, were looking for something to uh, unify them, an icon that would stand for them, and they they came upon using the idea of a Black Panther while Stan and Jack, completely unrelated, living a very <laughs> different life, 
were saying, yeah, let's cold tiger. No, that doesn't work. Um, <laughs> uh, what do you, uh, eh, and they kept stumbling around because you remember, like Stan went through like three or four different things before he got to Spider-Man. So, you yeah, know, it's, yeah. it's an iterative process. And because they were such solid creatives and because they had that great working relationship together, they were able to do it together and ultimately deliver the dreams that we all have now. Yeah. That's really cool. That's really cool. So I'm very excited because um, I, uh, oh, I'll talk about this later, but I love the character from the films. I, I really like what Marvel's doing with it. So I'm excited about that. Um, as for question two, uh, we're going to dig now deeper into Captain America, and Civil, Captain America Civil War, which is the first appearance of Black Panther in the MCU. Um, and before we get into his character directly, we're going to talk about the setup a little bit because the setup is really important to his motivations as a character. Um, and the catalyst for bringing Wakanda and subsequently Black Panther into the film is that 11 innocent Wakandans are killed by the Avengers in Lagos, um, Nigeria, which prompts T'Chaka, the king of Wakanda, to condemn the Avengers for their inability to protect innocent lives. Uh, so this setup could come right out of modern day headlines, um, whether it's uh, the U.S. operating somewhere or the U.N. operating somewhere. This can really come out of those same headlines. So my question for you, and we'll start with Michael. Do you think it's fair to condemn the Avengers for their actions? And how responsible are they here as a setup to this story? Hmm, it's, it's tough because whatever door you open you know, you, you leave it open for a whole lot of other people, like, you know, nefarious activity and stuff like that in the Marvel Universe to happen. Um, but where he's coming from, it's, it's honest and genuine. Like, he's not... I don't, I don't see uh, T'Chaka's standpoint as someone who's just trying to point fingers. Um, I think it's a very... It's a very genuine point of view to say, hey... I know you guys have saved the world and, you know, we have no qualms against you saving the world, but you do kind of roll around with no type of oversight at all. Like you guys are just doing your thing. Now, of course, 11 people dying as opposed to whatever that uh, that gas um, that like uh, I probably like, you know, I don't know, death gas or whatever it is. You know, it's, it's MCU. It's the death gas. But yeah. <laughs> what it could have done on a massive scale is, you know, probably small, but you still can't say that to the 11 families that lost someone. Um, so it's tough. You're, you're sitting there in a situation where it's like, yeah, he should condemn them. But I guess at the same time, with the understanding that they are doing the best they can. And in that you didn't see the CIA there trying to stop it. You didn't see MI6. You didn't see the FBI. Well, they're, they're only domestic, but you know what I mean. You didn't see no one else there trying to stop it. Nobody else was trying to help out. So it's, you know, who you going to call, kind of? But, you know, it's like, <laughs> I, I understand definitely where he comes from, but it's, to a certain degree, it's, you kind of have to lean on, it's better to have this group than to not, I guess you could say. But I definitely think he's, it's a genuine, it's a genuine beef that he brought to the UN about this. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. What do you think, Daryl? What's your take on this? Uh, <clears throat> man, it's a hard situation because accountability is good, obviously, and they should be held accountable, but also they have the ability to do more good 
than those who are holding them accountable in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. So you kind of don't want to limit them like that. But um, I love that they made a movie where they took a look at it because the internal struggle that we get to see amongst the Avengers, like specifically amongst Wanda and and Steve and Tony, is just so interesting to see. And then to have T'Challa come into it from the outside and have to deal with his, like he's just dealing with the rage of losing his father. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's also coming from the perspective of nobility and being part of a royal family mm-hmm. and trying to come at it from a little bit more of a high level, a little mm-hmm. higher ground. So, yeah, I think they should be held accountable. I think, though, it was a little extreme, but that's why it was a good story. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Hannibal, what's your take? Well, first I want to rephrase a little because let's make sure that we understand that Avengers didn't actually kill anybody. Cap didn't decapitate anybody with a shield. Uh, there was uh, a, a conflict and people got killed in it. There was collateral damage based upon the battle with uh, the operatives there. Ironically, one of whom, uh, the actor Damien Poitier, gets kicked in the face by uh, Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow. <laughs> he played Thanos in the first Avengers movie. Fun fact. Oh. Anyway, uh, <laughs> So, and he didn't die, so his character could come back. But anyway, um, uh, so I, I do, the Captain America, as his, a part of his character, is far too trusting, as Tarkin might say. I'm so Star Wars-y tonight. Um, <laughs> and he fielded some inexperienced operatives, and that led to challenges. That led to uh, the deaths that happened in that, that marketplace. Also, we have to remember that Wakanda is a place that one, almost nobody knows about, two, no, almost nobody can get to, and three, has never been involved in a world war. So the idea that 11 families all of a sudden are orphaned, left behind, is big. I mean, yeah. on a good scale point. issue. Very good point. I mean, this is the largest collection of Wakandans that have died at one time, probably in decades. So when you look at it that way, this uh, shifts a lot about how this has to be approached, because one, for them to be so peaceful and suddenly experience so much suffering at one time when a whole bunch of Americans died, a lot of people freaked out about that. And it caused some pretty extreme reactions. So for Wakanda to have a re- extreme reaction is not beyond the, the realm of possibility there. Uh, that said, we also have to look at, you know, uh, I mean, Cap it was military trained. Falcon was military trained. And if you look at them in that, in that conflict, they operated in a very professional fashion that would have been in the same way a MI6 or a CIA, as Michael will say, would have operated. Wanda was a weirdo from Eastern Europe who had never really done a lot. And <laughs> she's not really the person to have around a bunch of explosives, despite her really ridiculous power levels. She's a junior varsity player playing, you know, trying to put her in with, you know, Kobe and Shaq. That's not the way it works. <laughs> wow. you get, get on the benchmark, Madsen. Wave the towel, but don't try to get in the game with me. <laughs> so when you look at it that way, yeah, there's, there's some responsibility to be taken there. But I don't believe it could be leveled the same way. You, you can't point the same finger at Captain America, who's a veteran of, of war and who's, you know, doing, doing all these amazing things with training, to Tony Stark, who's an uh, egotistic drunk in an armored suit. You can't level the same sort of accusations, and the irony that they were on opposite sides of that is is was very noticeable to me in the film. Mm. 
Man, that is a great take. <laughs> I, I love it for several reasons. Because one, that you point out the impact that that actually had to Wakanda and the, the percentage of the population. That's fantastic. Because that's not something that I would have known, not being yeah. a comics, not knowing the comics very well. Um, so I love that aspect of it. Um, but also to, to break down what went wrong there is really fascinating. So I'm really glad you did that. Because I, I came away kind of almost on the same page as Michael. So it's kind of like, yeah, it's 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 right to desire justice without harm being done to civilians. That is a good thing, but I'm not sure that it's always possible, right? Now you definitely don't want your JV team in there, as Hannibal says. Like that's a really good <laughs> point. Like don't bring the JV team in when you've got innocent lives, right? Maybe send them in when it's clear it, there's a clear and present danger and there's no innocent people around, right? Yeah, but but clearly it's, it was also a heightened situation. I yes. mean, how do you train somebody for using your powers to contain a blast in order to avoid one of your coworkers being killed and then trying to take that blast into a safe place before it hits a building and kills a bunch of people? Yeah. Like it's I guess the, the question extreme. then is, and I think Hannibal is on to something here because the question for me is, <clears throat> excuse me, was there another way to resolve the situation? And I think that um, to Hannibal's point, the one way that there was to change the way that they did handle it was to not invite Wanda. Yeah. Right. Like they, like that is the one thing that they could have, you know, now the, the question is, would that have prevented more deaths and would it have prevented the deaths of the Wakandans? And now we're completely hypothesizing. But then yeah. how does Wanda learn? I mean, this is funny because now we're getting into Professor X, dude. <laughs> Danger room. Nothing but. As a parent, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bit of a paranoid parent. Okay. So mm. I've got a one-year-old son. And I get paranoid about what he eats, and yeah. I'm a, I'm afraid of him choking. Mm. But my wife's comment is, well, if he never tries, how is he ever going to learn to do it? And she's totally right. So, yeah, yeah. So so basically, Wanda needs training, and she shouldn't be out there <laughs> with the other people who are highly trained. I like that. I like that take. That's really cool. Uh, question number three. Um, one of the first things we hear from T'Challa directly. <clears throat> is that he doesn't like the UN. And he basically says, you know, two people in a room can get more done than a hundred. So my question for you guys, and start with Daryl, what do you think about his viewpoint and how is that viewpoint important for his character in this film? And is that viewpoint even anti-democracy? I'm really good at asking like four questions in one question. You really are, and it's <laughs> so, not confusing yeah, at what all. what do you think? <laughs> um, well, obviously he's coming, I don't know that he's anti-democracy, but democracy is not his context. Yes. He's coming from a monarchy or something equivalent to that. Like he's a prince, his father is a king. And I guess his father's still alive when he says that, but right. he's about to become king, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so <clears throat> I don't know that he's against democracy per se, in a way, like in such a way that he doesn't care about people and doesn't care about what they think because I mean we haven't seen him interact in the in the Marvel Cinematic Universe we haven't seen him interact with his people yet right. really we'll see that you know in a couple weeks yeah but so but I I get a, a sense of compassion from him and I get a sense of truly caring about people so I don't know that he's anti-democracy in kind of a hateful way but he's definitely comes from a royalty perspective mm. and 
I mean, there's something to that. I've been in, I've been in different situations and different workplaces and different leadership structures and stuff like that. And I've been involved with leadership by committee, mm-hmm. and I've been involved with leadership by one or two strong leaders mm-hmm. who are trusted and have you know safeguards in place with them. So mm-hmm. I've seen both work. I can I don't know. I can I can understand the comment. I mean, both perspectives. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Two people in a room can get more done than a hundred, but who are those two people and how trustworthy are they? Right. All right, Hannibal, what do you think? Well, I thought that this question was very interesting on one hand because it seems to posit the idea that democracy is a good thing. I don't know that there's enough empirical evidence to support that thesis, especially given the fact that while we're looking at Wakanda, a monarchy, as he said, uh, that has never invaded anybody, has never bombed anybody, has never enslaved anybody. And then you look at democracies, which have enslaved, murdered, poisoned, and otherwise literally millions and millions of people on multiple continents. Um, The idea of being pro-democracy seems a little fishy (laughs) from his perspective. Uh, All he has seen, all Wakanda has known for centuries is peace. And that's come under an autocracy. That's come under the rule of a single individual guided by a set of common principles and watched over by, you know, a kind of a a council of elders or what have you. Uh, There are certain tests and there are certain qualifications that he has to have to do the job. And T'Chaka being fairly up in age was still taking on all comers every year as the king. That's the job. you got to take on, and you'll see some of this in some of the uh, trailers for the Black Panther movie, anybody who wants your job, they get one shot a year to take it from you. And you got to take him down, and that's just the job. So if he was in clearly his late fifties, early sixties, still yeah. handling people, you know, then okay, whatever. He, he's probably okay because he, he it's clear they could have risen up and abu- stopped him if he was abusing his power, but he wasn't. So with peace and significant literacy and education and better technology and significantly faster Wi-Fi than we've got, <laughs> what's so great about freaking democracy? So when you look at it that way, uh, I wouldn't say that T'Challa is anti-democracy. I'd say what's democracy done for good for anybody on the planet in that regard, if we're really going to look at it. Uh, I appreciate the whole, oh, it's, you know, it's not the best system, but it's better than everything else argument that, you know, they tried to give me in my civics class in high school. But the blood on their hands makes that a little suspect. Uh, so I believe T'Challa really appreciates what he has seen. He has seen the effectiveness of his father. He has learned the effectiveness of his ancestors. He has learned what he is expected to do moving forward one day. He did not want to be king that soon. He did not want to be king that way. But he understands the effect that that sort of autocracy can have if wielded effectively. And he sees the UN as a, I mean, I mean, and he's not the only person. I mean, the current president, for all his problems, sees the UN as a waste of time. Ronald Reagan was enormously circumspect about involvement with the UN. Multiple American presidents and pundits and people throughout history have said the UN is, you know, a little too controlly, even with the ineffectiveness and the non-binding nature of the resolutions that they put forth. <laughs> so, yeah, there are definitely, definitely concerns there that I'd be looking at. And if T'Challa weren't looking at him, he definitely wouldn't be as smart as he is. Let me, uh, let me throw out a quick Facebook comment. Dave Edwards says, um, can't address the movie, hasn't seen it, obviously, but um, one of the burdens of democracy is bureaucracy. Nothing moves slower than yep. bureaucracy. Spoiler alert um, for my answer. And yeah, then, the, <laughs> sorry. And then he says the saying is, you know, a committee is where good ideas go to die. <laughs> 
Mm. Yep. Um, so before I go to Michael, I just have to make a comment because this is one of the reasons that I actually love having Hannibal on the show is that he, I guarantee you he will come at one point with a controversial answer. <laughs> and I love that. <laughs> I love that. Um, Michael, what do you think? Um, well, there's, he's got a reason to not, not like the UN. Um, it's, and we don't know how much context we have because in Civil War, we only see them once they meet. But in the comics... Uh, the UN and the outside world isn't too keen on Wakanda, you know, and, and they never really have been. So he probably has that history behind it. Um, he probably also has the history of crowdsourcing, crowdfunding, committee, bureaucracy, all that. It's a lot of people arguing with nothing happening. Like there's a lot of people like we're going to plan this. And it's like, okay, well, when does the planning phase end? Oh, we're still, we're still planning. Didn't you start planning like six months ago? <laughs> and, and so T'Challa's probably looking at it like, look, I don't like the UN. They're a waste of our time. We don't like them. They don't like us. We're not letting, letting them in to, you know, check our resources or see whatever or uh, humanitarian, uh, you know, uh, uh, resources or whatever it is. We're not letting them in, so they don't like us for that. And I don't like them because they waste other countries' time. Because he's probably looking at, because of course, you know, the, um, even though they're a monarchy, you don't hear about poverty. And I don't think I ever remember reading about poverty and all that in, you know, in Wakanda. But he's probably like, these guys are trying to, like, tell us what to do and make us come to them and talk. And they can't even get poverty taken care of. They can't even do that. Like, they can't even do something simple because it's not like there isn't enough money in the world. So it's like, it's like they can't even handle that. So what do, they, what do they need to talk to us for? So that's a viewpoint that I think he already has with him. Also, the fact that, you know, with the monarchy, um, like Hannibal was saying, you know, you have the Council of Elders and they make sure that you're, you know, you're groomed to be a leader. And, you, you know, you, uh, you know, you're kind of like, uh, I guess, kingly by the time you get there, if that's a word. But, you know, he looks and you're like, well, you have democracy and you think that's great, but you guys are always like electing someone who is like super not fit. Whether it's in, for like the mayor, it could be for the school board. You'd be like, we're like, this person should not be on the school board. <laughs> but, and it's like, this is what democracy gives you. So he's probably looking at it like this, just coming to them is a waste of time. Um, so, you know, when you have someone who is in a monarchy, someone who is a prince, someone who is being groomed to be king, something that you don't see any value in, especially something that's going to waste your time and you feel is going to fall on deaf ears, which to in this movie doesn't really fall on deaf ears. But, you know, for the most part, would fall on deaf ears. He feels it's a waste of time. And I, I see exactly why, because democracy has... Like Hannibal said, it hasn't been the best. And depending on how you grew up, democracy isn't the coolest. Now, democracy isn't the worst thing in the world. Nah, but I, I wouldn't say it gets an A+. Plus. So <laughs> you got to look at democracy sideways. Like, yeah, it's about a, about a C. A strong, <laughs> it's, it's a strong C. Because, you know, it depends and you have a lot of, you know, you have a lot of red tape and things move super slow. And like he said, two people in one room, 
if you're two people on the same page, you can go to the moon and back before the committee of 20 or 30 can even decide what shoes to wear. <laughs> so it, I understand where he's coming from. And, you know, I'm no, you know, I guess democracy hater, but I'm, I, it, it works for Wakanda and it works very well. So that's, I guess that's the best I can say. Yeah. Hannibal, did you want to jump in with a comment? Uh, I'm not going to say whether I'm a democracy hater or not, but I, I definitely <laughs> try to run an autocracy whenever I get in charge of something. I'm not going to deny that. <laughs> or as, as, as that wise man once said, no time to discuss this in committee. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Um, so from my perspective, I think that he's right with his statement in, in regards to two people in a room can get more done than 100. That I mean, bureaucracy is painful. So like, uh, was it Dave? Yeah, Dave, uh, Dave on our live feeds that talked about bureaucracy being super painful. And it is bureaucracy is incredibly painful. It's slow. It requires patience. You I, I am. A, I work in uh, with startups. And so I can see how fast startups can move in comparison to bigger organizations and bigger organizations. It is just brutal to watch them move. It's just it's so frustrating. Um, sometimes they will go out of business before they're able to actually move into what they should be doing. Wow. So I've been in those businesses, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so <laughs> difficult. It's so difficult. It's so painful. Um, I do think, however, that more perspectives do give us a better picture of what is truly happening. So, for example, I would have no clue on this podcast that, that Wakanda is well run and performing well if I didn't talk to Hannibal and Michael, right? Mm -hmm. Or you. So, yeah. uh, when I say you, I'm pointing at Daryl. Um, <laughs> so... The reality from my standpoint is I go, oh, yeah, I would have made some bad decisions had it been two people in a room, right? Yeah. Now, if the person was Hannibal or the person was Michael, I might make a great decision. But that's the risk that you take. Um, two men in a room can act quickly, and sometimes you need that, but sometimes you also need a consensus. And I think that's, that was the uh, – whether or not you, you are a democracy proponent or not, and I'm going to be probably on the other side of that spectrum because I'm going to say that I'm going to be pro-democracy – but at the same time, I'm only pro-democracy, not based on some of the performance, but based on the ideals of it, Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, so obviously if we look at performance, we've got to say, oh, well, that's not going to work very well. But like in theory. Exactly. In theory, <laughs> it should work really, really well. Uh, but you know, like um, this is, I don't know how uh, popular this opinion is. Well, actually I know it's popular in the States, um, but we, we elected a president I wouldn't have elected, right? Like, that, that's, that's what happens when you have democracy. Um, now, granted, I think that when, you know, a monarchy that is, it's kind of one of those things like you dream of a monarchy that's run well, but a monarchy yeah. that's run poorly, is it can be even more oppressive because of the con there's no, no lack of constraints there. Yeah, that person can do whatever they want to. Now, you guys have referred to Wakanda as be having a council of elders as well which is a form of checks and balances. And I think that that's good. Um, so maybe, so maybe something where there's like two people in a room that are well vet before they get in there. Yeah. Cause in the end it, it all comes down to responsibility of right. individuals, right? If you're talking about a monarchy, how responsible and trustworthy is your monarch? Yep. And if you're talking about a democracy, how responsible and trustworthy are the people? Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it comes down to who do you trust? Do you trust the the elected the elected people that the majority hopefully elected? And obviously, we can get into that. that we, we're not, the whole point of this isn't to get into a big discussion about politics per se. What it is more to, is to say is is T'Challa right with his opinion, and how does that play itself out over the course of the movie, the course of the film? And so, I really appreciate his perspective. I come from a startup, the startup world, and I left an organization that I felt like was moving far too slowly and was going to die. Um, I left that organization because I felt like it was not making good decisions um, and that it was tying itself up and I left to do a startup. <laughs> um, now I work, I work in education and education is a giant bureaucracy. Uh, so, you know, now it's a whole, a whole other story, but I, I do love startups because, because of that. But think of all the, the stories we've had coming out of startups doing things really wrong and doing things in very damaging ways. Yeah. So, yeah. We, there's okay. got to be some kind of accountability. Well, here, here's something. Here's another knock against democracy, I guess you could say. All right, democracy sounds great. Everybody gets their say, right? Everybody gets to say, woohoo. Well, I'm sure you guys have all, you know, we've all been in a situation where us and our friends were out late one night, maybe after a party or the club or a get together or whatever, and you and maybe four other people are trying to decide where to eat. <laughs> that discussion, that discussion between IHOP and Denny's and Waffle House or whatever goes on for 30, 40 minutes. Y'all can't even you figure out what to eat. You got it done in 30, 40 minutes? <laughs> I'm because, impressed. Because Denny's has better burgers, but IHOP has wings. And, well, their, pa their pancakes aren't as good as such and such. Well, Waffle House doesn't have pancakes at all. And then next thing you know, you've been going back and forth for 30 minutes. And T'Challa is looking at that type of stuff like, yeah, I would have just said we're going here, and that's where we would have went in the end. That's what I do. <laughs> I I, lo I lost all form of objectivity because now I'm just hungry. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. I love that discussion. So, um, but we all agree. One, one point we definitely all agree on is that you do need that perspective that he has. The application of that perspective does matter, right? Yeah. So it's just a matter of, yeah, he's right. Sometimes you need to be able to act quickly. There's no question about that. Let's also factor in while we're here uh, that, you know, not just anybody can run up and, be, you know, uh, a rich hotel and, and entrepreneur moron can't become the Black Panther. Uh, you have to not only go through a lifetime selection process, you have to be chosen and accepted by the Panther God that is built into the oh, job. Yeah, yeah. And if that's not the case, if the Panther God looks at you and thinks that you're crazy, you're not going to survive long enough to become king. And That's don't you have to, works. I mean, I'm running off of only one issue so far here, but don't you have to like beat the previous Black Panther in a fight too? You have to, uh, well, if the previous one is alive, then yes, if that's what's happening. Or um, if the previous one is not alive, there is a, uh, in the same way that the Klingons have their trials that they have to go through, there's like seven people that you got to beat to be the king. And like each one is tougher than the last. And each one of them tests you in a different way. And, you know, they're not all physical contests. They're not mm. all, you know, punch knockout fights. You know, somebody, somebody wants to play chess. And if you can't beat this guy, you're not going to be the king. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when you look at it that way, when you look at the, 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 the deservedness that somebody has to have built into them, as well as the, you know, the nod from boss to panther god, then yeah when people say yeah okay i guess you're in charge that's fair you seem to you seem to be all right 
So actually, so walk us through this process. Just again, just like how, how what is the step-by-step process on how someone becomes king of Wakanda? With or without the previous one being alive. Well, uh, and also to clarify, at least in the MCU, king does not mean Black Panther per se, right? Right, right. There's true. separation between. True. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know if that's true in the comics, but it is true. It is okay. true, as a matter of fact, because the the uh, idea, in best case scenario, is that the king of Wakanda is also the chief of the Panther clan, who is the lead uh, religious and spiritual uh, body in Wakanda. That's the idea. Uh, there have been times when that hasn't happened. When uh, in the comics, when Shuri, his sister, took over as uh, queen regent, she was the queen, but she was not the uh, leader of the Panther clan because she had not gone through the appropriate trials. She had not taken a heart-shaped herb. She had not done this and that and yada, yada, yada. So she was the head of state, but she was not the head of the, the country's uh, idea in that regard. So um, that you know, kind of step-by-step process becomes pretty involved when you start out with, like I said, you start out your training as a kid, you know, that you're like, this is what you do. This is how you speak to people. This is what you do. And, you know, if you're a jerk as a kid, they're going to start noticing that pretty early. Yeah, you're not going to make it to the throne player. It's not going to work for you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then you go on and you're you're trained and you're able to travel and do education. For example, uh, T'Challa, as in the comics, went to college with Reed Richards and Bruce Banner and, uh, and Dr. Doom. And, you know, they were all like classmates at Empire State University. So really, uh, yeah, I know. Cool. <laughs> Their frat parties must have been sick. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he was able to get a wealth of knowledge outside of Wakanda because most Wakandans who do this go and travel under assumed identities. So, you know, Wakanda is very secretive. And I believe he was called Luke Charles or something. And he got like a degree in education or something. Uh, but he also, you know, was studying physics and, you know, astrophysics and genetics and all the stuff that he was actually really interested in as well. So he did all these things and he proved himself to be worthy. And once he came home, he had to go through the trials, go through the seven elders, be able to beat all of them at whatever they had to beat him at. And then after all that, he went into, I think it's the fall, there's waterfalls in Wakanda. And he has to ingest the heart-shaped herb, which is this mystical slash scientific thing that will uh, essentially make him into the equivalent of a Captain America. He can uh, run as fast as any Olympic runner. He can lift as much as any Olympic lifter. He can jump as far as any Olympic pole vaulter, yada, yada, yada. Which we Um, definitely see in Civil War. Yes, sir. Chasing with him and Bucky. What's interesting about that, he wasn't the king yet. He was still the prince. Yeah. He was in street clothes and keeping up with these guys. <laughs> yeah, because he put he, on the outfit. He took on yeah. uh, he took on Winter Soldier with just like some Nikes on. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> he was wearing like Old Navy. He was like, I got this guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good advertisement for Old Navy, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's Old Wakanda Navy, though. So, <laughs> so once you go through all those things, and once you ingest the herb, and at that point, you're confronted by the panther god. The panther god looks into your soul and says, uh, yeah, you're okay, and then you can go out. If not, then the panther god's going to eat you, and you're going to die. Wow. Interesting. Whoa, the panther god eats you. That is, well, not, you know, a, a, that is not something you want to fail at. <laughs> so you can't just be like, all right, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. yeah What's the worst what, that we'll could happen? <laughs> So, so this is great because I don't have any of this background with this character, so I'm super stoked that you guys are on this show with us. 
My number four question does revolve around the deities that are involved in Wakandan, um, uh, whether it's religion or whatever practice that they have that these deities are a part of. Because just taking it from Captain America's Civil War only, he references Bast and Sekhmet. Um, mm -hmm. And I just, my thought was that those were Egyptian gods, which kind of surprised me because I wasn't expecting them to be Egyptian gods. And so I'm wondering, um, and I'm gonna start with you, Hannibal, and it sounds like you have a really um, good t good ability to know what all is going on there. What's going on with all of the gods and what, what how does that all work with Wakanda? Well, one of the common misconceptions is the idea that Egyptian gods are not African gods, that, you know, uh, the before the Hyksos invasion of the seventh dynasty, that it was not a purely, and I mean completely homogenous African society that very clearly made its ties from Nubia, from what was, uh, uh, what would become Ethiopia in that regard. So, um, the idea, th there are analogs apparent in many forms of African spirituality, Heru, who most people in the West know as Horus, is an easy parallel to Shango in West African Ifa. Papa Legbo and Vudun or Anansi are easy parallels to the tricksters Impu and Sebek, who are, what are the Greek names for those? Anubis and, uh, I can't remember what Sebek is, but anyway, uh, in uh, Egyptian spirituality, which is also called Kemetic, because they called their land Kemet. Um, Wakanda did, did not suffer any of the challenges of colonialism. They never had Jesuits, you know, stormtroopers parachuting in with a knife in their teeth to colonize these people. So the idea that they would be closer to the source of the original ideas of African spirituality is not very hard for me to accept. They are very close to it in terms of their behavior. Uh, Chadwick Boseman talked about in interviews that he worked hard to find an accent that was not an anglicized one, not a francophone one, one that would not show signs of somebody who had grown up in a colonized society, that he learned English as a second language for kicks, not because it had been forced upon him at an early age. Mm -hmm. So when you look at it that way, the idea that if he's kept his language, if he's kept his culture, if he's kept his country, if he's kept his resources, the idea that they would keep their gods is not too far a leap. Yeah, that's cool. So now with that with that background, I guess my question changes a little bit because now it's how do you feel about that being the the makeup of their <clears throat> their religion or their spirituality? Personally? Well, yeah. as someone who actually does practice comedic spirituality, it's, you know, very comfortable to me the idea like, yeah, that checks out. Uh, so, you know, when my daughter is in, she's eight, when she's sitting in the theater next to me, she, she knows who Bast is. She knows what Bast looks like. That's not going to confuse her at all. She's going to see a representation of herself on a movie screen in a multi-million dollar movie. And that's very rare for our family. So I'm hmm. pretty happy to see that. So now is that is that something where that's a spiritual perspective or is are those more of like in other words are those actual gods there are they spiritual beings that exist or are the, is it ancestry or what is that character what's going on there Oh, well, to break that down, uh, the idea of uh, comedic spirituality is that there is only one thing in the universe, and that thing is God. And that everything that you see is a reflection of that, in the same way that you can shine a light through a prism and see a whole bunch of different colors, but still the same one light. So, Bast is a reflection of God, in the same way the Sekhmet, Ptah, Jehudi, Heru, whatever. They're all different perspectives shining through the prism of your own personal experience of whatever's going on. Mm. So... 
uh, Bast in particular uh, is both creativity and a kind of almost it can get as far as Sekhmet, because Sekhmet is just pure destruction. Um, but, uh, and there's a balance between those, which ultimately becomes the Panther God in uh, the spirituality, as I have perceived it in both the movies and the comics. Um, so for me, when I see that, I see, okay, you see things the way I see. You see that there's only one thing. So when you see uh, Zemo, you understand that this is a reflection of divinity that you don't like. That doesn't mm -hmm. mean that you can't, you have to stop acknowledging the divinity of it. And you see that in Winter Soldier in the way that he ultimately turns to, he's like, no, I will not kill you. You will face justice for what you have done. But my need for vengeance does not supersede who I am. And that spiritual grounding as a character was very clear to me. And I mean, it sounds like the stuff I tell my kids. It sounds like the stuff that I was told when I came up through the comedic tradition. So for me, that's all enormously good to see on screen because uh, as someone who believes in traditional values that may be a little bit older <laughs> I, I find that all good wow cool that's uh, that's awesome so and really fascinating so thanks for sharing that what do you think Michael how does that affect you uh, it it just it's just another piece of I think Marvel really going the extra step to try to make this as and I know, of course, Black Panther isn't a real person. He's, you know, a character. But to make this as true to Black Panther or T'Challa as it can possibly be. Um, because they could have completely left, like, you know, Boss and all this stuff out of it. But to say, you know, hey, we're going to put this in. We're going to make it a part of his being. I'm, I'm, I'm proud to see that. Like, even, even though someone who doesn't follow, like, comedic tradition or spirituality or anything like that, it's just beautiful to see. Because this is something... Black Panther is a movie is that, in my mind, was never, ever going to happen. <laughs> so, now that it's happened, and it's happening the way it is, that they're being, like, completely open with, you know, uh, his spirituality his past, the people around him, his loves, his hates, all of that, it just makes it, I guess, more, more realistic to him and his, you know, and his tribe, his people that are around him. Um, because it's, you know, the, the, the Egyptian gods, which, you know, like uh, Hannibal was alluding to or saying was basically it was never really said that this wasn't, you know, like these weren't the gods of the rest of Africa or that other people didn't study them. We were just always told, oh, these were only Egyptians' gods. Like, so, like, you know, like, say, you know, Ghana didn't have these gods or, like, Ghana didn't ever even know about these or, you know, whoever else. Um, it was just always told to us as these are Egyptian gods. So, in this case, I love the fact that they're getting a platform to be explained, to be seen, um, to even be discussed. Um... And the fact that we're gonna see it with with a budget like this, like he was saying, it's I still can't believe that we're seeing this. But I'm I'm glad that, you know, they got a mention and I didn't think we would ever see the Panther God, but now that I know we're gonna see it, it's just man, I'm excited. And hopefully, Disney, if you're listening, I did put in my email. I really, really wanna see that early screening. Uh, get back to it, <laughs> but, but but um, I it just makes me proud to see this handled with, I think handled with care. I think that's because you know it, 
it could have been, you know, completely just forgotten and washed out, but I'm glad that they're taking it on and giving it an honest, you know, an honest viewpoint uh, through the eyes of the people that respect and serve that, you know, so it's, it's just dope. I just think it's dope. It's another part that goes to make this movie the serious representation that it is. Yeah. What do you think, Joe? Gosh, I mean, what else is there to say? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a whole lot of context around those gods. I, to be honest, I couldn't even remember the point in the movie when he says that. Oh, yeah, he says it when he's sitting down on the bench talking to uh, Roman. Uh, oh, so, um, right, Black right, right. Widow. When he talks yeah. about death yeah, being Black a Widow. stepping off point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I actually so, so just to just to not make you feel like you're the only one. I had I was like, oh, he's I'm watching with subtitles. Yeah. That's how I do this. I watch with <laughs> subtitles so I know what they're actually saying. Yeah, and I'm like, I've never heard of that before. So then yeah. I go and look it up. Yeah. So I mean, I don't have a whole lot of context into that culturally, but I love, like Michael said, I love that they're putting that degree of depth, and mm-hmm. they're putting that degree of sort of you know background into T'Challa, even as a secondary character in Civil War, right? you know? And, I mean, obviously they knew there was another movie coming, but it's just cool to see that. And, you know, Michael, you mentioned this movie was never going to happen. It's funny because as I start to read these comics and as I'm really diving into this character, I'm surprised that Guardians of the Galaxy got made before this did. Because <laughs> you as well as many other people. <laughs> I know, because this is many way more interesting. <laughs> And it seems like such a better premise for a movie than Guardians. I mean, I love Guardians. Don't get me wrong. But I'm, I'm just confused as to why they did that before they did this, because this seems like way um, more of a well, sure bet. Well, there are opinions. Well, yeah. really quick, I remember, um, is it Joe Desposito? Or, I think it's Joe Desposito yeah. made the statement about Wakanda being hard to create because most of the movies they do are in, you know, um, are in New York and, you know, Wakanda is just so hard to do. Now, mind you, he made this statement after Avatar had been created, after The Matrix had been created, after Lord of the Rings had been created. Now, come on. Now, someone like me that loves... And they made Asgard, too. Yeah, and they made Asgard. Asgard. So, someone like me that had seen these movies, you know, loves these movies. Um, there's a lot of walking in Lord of the Rings, but I still, I still got love for it. Um, There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of walking. It's just, it was, it was received at least by some to be, how should you say, a bunch of malarkey. Mm-hmm. So, but I had made my mind up that we're never going to see this movie. We're just never going to see it. It's, we're never going to see the movie. And... I'll go ahead and say that I didn't think this movie would be made because we would be seeing a movie where there was a country in Africa that was well ahead uh, monetarily or financially, also well ahead technologically over any other Western nation and a movie where the Western nation or Western societies were technically the bad guy. Um, I didn't think we'd ever see that. And especially not from Disney or a company held by Disney. Um, so that's why I really thought we were never going to see this. But now that we have it coming, I'm, I just can't wait. I've already got three tickets, so but I can't wait. <laughs> that's awesome. Hannibal, do you want to jump in? 
Yeah, just real quickly. I it, It's funny because I had read the things that he was talking about where they said, oh, we don't know how to make Wakanda, blah, blah, blah. But then in the previs and the work that up, leading up to this movie, interviews, people like talking about the development that they've been doing on this film for 10 years. So while publicly they were saying, oh, we don't know, we can't, ah, behind the scenes, that we have to remember this is the house that Stan Lee built, the house of hype. So the idea of gaslighting you and telling you, oh, no, no, we're not going to do that. We, we can't handle that while they're secretly working on it. That creates this like feeling like, oh, I can't have that. Oh, no, I can have it. There's a sense of relief. I have to go out and buy 70 tickets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They got you. And for me, you have been marketed me, to. to. To see Ryan Coogler directing this. Yeah. To see that yeah. sister, the Af the, the, who was the costume designer, to see the enormous number of checks going to black actors that were not going to be paid that well this year. Yeah, I'm all in for it. I'm like, you tricked me. And I'm willing to accept that. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are actually making me want to see the movie even more. And I was already hyped for it. Um, by the way, Guardians of the Galaxy is also not a comic that I had ever read. So I'm just, yeah, like, I'm and just I, behind on everything. I went back and read Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's it's okay. Yeah. I mean, I, the movies are better. Yeah, the, the movies, movies are, better. are better. Yeah. Well, just as from, from my perspective, um, and I have gained a, an incredible amount of perspective through this conversation, which makes me even more excited. Um, one of the reasons we started this podcast was to invite conversations that led to this level of depth. So for me, this is super exciting because as I get to sit back and go, oh, that's not a perspective that I've considered before that allows me to grow as a person. I'm a Christ follower. Everybody knows I'm a Christ follower. But now I get a chance to have a relationship with Hannibal who gets to tell me about some of the things, spiritual perspectives that he has. Um, and I just really value the conversation. Yeah, it's awesome. I value the deep I'm dive into this stuff. And yeah, and I, I just really value the fact that Hannibal, like you, you'll, you are um, coming out and educating all of our listeners on how this works, not just from a perspective of saying I read a bunch of comics, but also from a perspective of saying like, no, I actually have a perspective on this myself in my life as I live day to day, mm -hmm. um, and so I just think that that's exciting. Um, and I'm really stoked as I hear you guys talk about it, that they're being so true to the comics and that it's cool. Yeah. Right. Because they tend to do with the movies. They tend to do one of two things. They're really true to the comics in a way that's not cool. And you're like, why did you keep that in there? And then they're like, not true to the comics in other ways. You're like, why did you do that? So that makes me happy too. So I'm, I'm pretty stoked about this. Um, before we move on to the next question, really quick break. Um, I want to let you guys know about some cool things we're up to and how you can support us. So over at thestorygeeks.com, we have been releasing additional Story Geeks content through our brand new Patreon account. That's content that is only available through Patreon, only available to Patreon supporters, and you do not want to miss out on that content. Right now on Patreon, you can listen to Daryl and I come up with fan theories about geek <laughs> films. And I should just say up front, I am terrible at fan theories, so it's a hilarious episode. Um, and you don't want to miss my thoughts on how Kevin McAllister from Home Alone is actually connected to DC Comics. <laughs> I don't remember that. I got to go back and listen to it. Oh yeah, you got to go back and wow. listen. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's it's good stuff. <laughs> it's good stuff and <laughs> how terrible it is. Um, so it's completely ridiculous, uh, but maybe also a real thing. You never know. Um, and maybe it should be a real thing. We also had an epic Network 1901. Our friends out at Network 1901 um, slash the Story Geeks Showdown, where we break down all things The Last Jedi, all the things that people either loved or hated. We gave our perspectives on all of those things. 
So um, you can catch the first part of the episode. Uh, it's available to the public. And then the second part of that episode where we get into like the throne room and Snoke and all that kind of stuff, that is only on Patreon. Yeah, some of the best stuff ended up on Patreon. Exactly. So you do not want to miss that. Special thanks to Dale and Shannon from Network 1901 uh, for joining us on that episode. And if you want a definitive breakdown of all that film's most controversial scenes, definitely check that out. Um, all you got to do is support us for $3 a month. That's it. It's not a lot of money. Um, it's literally less than a gourmet cup of coffee. So, <laughs> And that's just once a month. So if you go over to thestorygeeks.com and you can subscribe there and support us there, we would be super appreciative of that. Yes, please. And um, that's me. That's done. That's me done marketing. Um, that's me finishing up the, the Stan Lee <laughs> portion of the show. That's me done marketing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, let's jump into question number five. And Michael, I'm going to go to you first on this one. Um, after his father's death, T'Challa dons the Black Panther suit <coughs> and makes it his mission to kill Bucky Barnes, who he believes is responsible for his father's murder. And I just want to get your guys' take, and starting with you, Michael, on T'Challa's response to his father's death. Is that response justified? Yes. Yes, it is. You kill my daddy, you gots to die. You gots to <laughs> die. go down. I, yo, look. You know, if anybody killed one of your loved ones, your first response is like, yo, they got to die. Like, they, there's no, there's no, like, you know, jury, there's no trial, there's no nothing. Got to die. Like, especially when you, when you have the power to do it. Like, say, you know, like me, you know, I don't have a specific set of skills or anything. I can't do anything like that. But, you know, if I'm the Black Panther, I can actually track you down and, you know, kill you. But... <laughs> um, as he finds out later in the movie, of course, you know, he changes his mind because he's like, you know, there are things bigger than my emotions in this. Um, but yeah, he's completely justified. Uh, I'm, I'm not a super proponent for eye for an eye, uh, but there are cases where I do see that it is valid. Um, and when something from his perspective, when someone is killed in cold blood, I do think that retribution, you know, stuff like that is, you know, is valid. Um, but, you know, of course, eye for an eye is not always the greatest. You know, for most things, no. But, you know, when cold-blooded killings, you know, I, I do make a slight, you know, a, a little slight adjustment for that. <laughs> what do you think, Daryl? Is it justified? Um, gosh, that's hard. <laughs> um, part of me wants to say no. Part of me wants to say yes. I mean, when I think about it in terms of, you know, like Michael said, if it was my dad or if it was my kid or even a friend, you know, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like I can't. My gosh, I can't even imagine it. But. From a story perspective, I love seeing him go through it mm. and then specifically where he ends up at the end of Civil War, too, mm. which we'll get. We'll have a question about that. Yeah, one. I, yeah, I've got a question for you guys about that, but we'll get. We'll get there. Get question, somebody else's perspective seven. here. Yes, question yes. seven is on there. Hannibal, what about you? Is he justified? Uh, short answer, yes. Longer answer, um, hell yes. But uh, <laughs> 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 Longer by one syllable. By one syllable. 
<laughs> one of the things I love about the cinematic universe over what I consider the now problematic publishing universe oh. is that T'Challa in the movies and his sister, they grew up with their father. That T'Challa became a man with his father's guidance. And that's something that the quote-unquote orphan king of publishing didn't get. He saw Claw kill T'Chaka when T'Challa was a child. Oh, so is yeah. not a guy, who, he's not scheming for the throne. He didn't want it. He was ready for it. He'd been trained and he was prepared. But to see his father taken by, from him by the weaponized soldier of the colonial powers, that does the same thing as what happened in Nigeria. A Black Panther killed by white people? That had literally never, ever, ever happened to Wakanda. So it forces a shift in the nation's cultural viewpoint. T'Challa, before he could go back to do his trials, before he could go back to take the herb, before he could do any of that, he had to settle his business. If he went home with the killer of the king loose, nah. If he had to tell his sister that he didn't know what happened to the person who killed their father, that couldn't fly. Yeah. As a culture, they couldn't stand for that. They wouldn't be able to accept that. So, and, and he probably thinking, if I walk up in there, the Panthers guy's gonna eat me. I'm not gonna do that. That's not gonna work. So. <laughs> He had to deal with this business before he could go home. He could not go home with this unsettled. And that, more than anything, I believe drove him, in addition to the rage of a son, in addition to the rage of somebody who watched their father die literally in front of them, blown up in an act of terrorism. Yeah, he's got the power. He's got the right. He's got diplomatic immunity in most countries. Yeah, he's going to kill that guy if he can. That's an easy call. And the fact that he then relied upon his, his morals, his, his, his standing as a person uh, to really think, no, that's not the right way to do this. Because honestly, that's not enough punishment for you. And second, that's not really who my father raised me to be. So that's the way I saw that. And I really appreciated that. Can I jump in real quick? Sure. Because what, what you just said there, Hannibal, made me think of the question that I was going to ask. So maybe I'll just ask it now. So at okay. the end of Civil War when he chooses not to kill Zemo, he tells him, and then he stops him from killing himself. Mm -hmm. He tells him the living aren't done with you yet. Mm -hmm. What and did you guys a, that's get? That's a cold line too. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Like, what did you get from that line? Is it a threat? Is he telling him that your punishment is coming? Or is it also kind of a hope for redemption kind of a line? What do you guys think? To me, it's that I'm not going to let you take this easy route out. You're going to face justice and you're going to be punished, hopefully put in a hole to face true depression and despair for years and years for what you've done. Because the living, as far as us, we're not done punishing you for what you've done yet. Um, because of course, his father wasn't the only one who died. So there are other people that did deserve justice. Um, also, he put the Avengers who are in a position to save, you know, hundreds, thousands of people, and you've now broken them up. So now you've done that, you've made an opening for other villains and stuff, so you've got a lot to pay for. And you trying to kill yourself and get out of this? Nah, that's not enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we're gonna come <clears throat> back to that even in more detail in question seven. Okay. Um, for me, I have a slightly different take and it's gonna take me a second to get there. <laughs> because at the root of the question that I asked in regards to is he justified is a question about being a vigilante, 
right? Or vigilante, <laughs> as you like to pronounce it. When I, when, <laughs> Sorry, when I couldn't I, let that one go. Oh, man. <laughs> it's the worst. It's the worst. I pronounced vigilante vigilante for some reason. I'm going like, what yeah. French ancestry did that come from? That's like the classy. It's like you fight crime, but you're really classy, though. <laughs> <laughs> I will punch you right after I use this croissant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly i have a baguette that has your name on it um, so but for me this is a, this is a question is it okay to be a vigilante right um and i'm going to say that i do believe that there are times when that's acceptable mm-hmm. and even necessary so what if the government becomes super corrupt what if law enforcement <laughs> is dirty right <laughs> what if you see? <laughs> what if those in these control, hypothetical situations? Oh, yeah, yeah. These, yeah, exactly. These it. hypothetical situations. What yeah. What if this happened? Um, no, but but really, but but really, truly, like if there is a case for doing what's right in those circumstances, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I think uh, Hannibal, you said it. He's doing what. He takes the moral road. He has a moral high ground. And that's that's getting more into our last question, which we'll get to later. But I do believe that those cases are extremely rare. Um, and I think that in this case with T'Challa, I think it's very borderline. Because like you said, Michael, you kill my family member, you deserve to die, right? I mean, we're, we're, we're now uh, Ariga Montoya from, uh, <laughs> uh, from Princess Bride. And, and I, I do think that there's something to that. There's an eye for an eye, right? There, there's something to that where we need, belie- we need systems that say justice is right and there is justice. And we clearly don't, don't have those systems. There's clearly systemically injustice. Right. Yeah. That that is the case, and we see lots of films explore that. Batman explores this like crazy all the time. Um, I do think that T'Challa doesn't want just justice. I think he wants swift justice, and I think that's where I go. I don't know that he can be justified because in that desire for swift justice, you can make a lot of mistakes. And this is the downfall of being a vigilante, right? Um, you can become the one that is morally wrong or the one who oversteps truth and justice so that you can have your way. Not necessarily the right way, but to have your way. And I do think we're flirting with that line here in this film. Yeah. So. Okay, I, I see where you're going. I, yes, I, I can see where you're going, but there's, there's a lot of cases where... Okay, I'll throw out one. Um, uh, it was just a, just a while ago, there was like a family, a, a father and a mother who had their kids like in the basement for years and stuff, like just recently. And they, they had been keeping the kids down there and feeding them like bread or something. Like they was all like puny and like, you know, uh, malnutrition. And they had been doing this to their own children. And I literally said out loud while I was watching the news, because I love talking to the news. Um, <laughs> I said out loud, what is the trial about? Really? Mm. What is the trial about? What's the trial yeah. about? What is what are we gonna sit around and talk about? Yeah. You got caught <clears throat> red-handed. They're in your basement. You even said you did it. So what 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 are we wasting our time for? And I guess I see, that's kind of like where T'Challa is. It's like, well, what is what are we doing this for? But of course, like you said, sometimes with justice, you do get the wrong guy. But there are cases where it's like, you know, like we just saw, it's like, yo, there's there's no reason that we don't need to sit down for this. 
We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't need 12 people for this one. <laughs> this, is, this is a slam dunk. Hannibal, I'm going to let you jump in. Yeah, I, I just had to look up something. Uh, there was a, a, an early one of the founding fathers named William Penn who said, to delay justice is injustice. And that if it is in fact justice, if it is in fact just as it should be, then delays are both unnecessary and won't be wrong. We don't have to worry about that. So in that regard, if we're looking at the idea of vigilantism, if it is justified, if it is something we want to support, pretty much anybody reading comic books is pretty much already saying they're already on board for vigilantism mm. because literally <laughs> every costume person is, is breaking the law. <laughs> right, right, literally right. every one of them. Uh, with, you know, maybe you can say U.S. agent isn't, maybe. Yeah. Um, and when you look at it under those terms, that uh, what was there's another quote I, I can't remember who said it, it was like the only place for, in an unjust society for a just man is a prison. That if you're not doing something to stand up against the forces of injustice, if you're accepting or being quiet, there are many many uh, thinkers in the American uh, ideological canon who say that you are not no, only part of the problem, you're encouraging it. Mm. You're as bad as someone actively engaged in it. Mm. So for when I look at that, when I look at the uh, Ferguson, Missouri Police Department, or when I look at the Cleveland Police Department, or when I look at the Los Angeles Police Department, and I see the things that happen there, and Jackie Lacey, the DA in Los Angeles, who doesn't, hasn't prosecuted anybody who killed, uh, any cop who's killed anybody in three years, hasn't even brought them to trial, then yeah, that makes me think, you're on the other side, pal. Mm -hmm. You've got mm -hmm. a completely different agenda. And if that's the case, it's time to get T'Challa up in this piece. <laughs> <laughs> the difference is that he has diplomatic immunity. Yeah. So he can't be arrested in any country for any reason. That's first of all. And second, the enormous amount of power that he wields both financially, politically, and physically. Yeah, and I think I agree with all of those things. But the one point that I think the movie makes that I agree with is that he's wrong. Because he doesn't have the right guy. So swift justice in this case would be killing Bucky Barnes, and that's not even the perpetrator of the crime. Yeah. Well, I mean, swift justice would be getting Bucky Barnes because Bucky Barnes was a loose cannon who had killed lots of people for the Russians. You know, it's not like he was some dewy-eyed innocent. He was a murderer <laughs> multiple times over. So, But, but not for this particular crime. Oh, sure, no problem. Yeah, whatever. But... That investigation led him where he needed to go because Zemo had made this elaborate Rube Goldberg plan uh, that then, you know, the, the greatest punishment for uh, Zemo was that staying alive, he would see the Avengers reform. He would see everything that he tried to do fail. And that is the punishment, I believe, that T'Challa, because he knows Captain America ain't going to be away from America very long. His name is Captain America. You know, yeah, it's, it's a vacation. So, <laughs> yeah. knowing that he could theoretically assume with his, the intellect that he has the Avengers are going to get back together and when they do it's going to be necessary and it's going to be important and it's going to happen and Zemo's going to be there to watch it from jail well I think I'm an optimistic moviegoer so <laughs> I'm, I always look for hope and redemption and stuff that I watch and so maybe it's my perspective but I really think that you know, going back to kind of that last line when he says the living are not done with you yet mm. and just his journey throughout the movie, I feel like there's, I mean, yes, there's justice and Zemo should be afraid for what's coming after what he's done. Mm -hmm. But I feel like there might be a tinge of hope for redemption in 
what T'Challa says mm-hmm. because, you know, he's watched the Avengers tear each other apart. And he even says, like, you're consumed by vengeance. They are consumed by vengeance. I'm done letting it consume me. And he sees kind of his evolution from wanting to just straight out kill Bucky mm-hmm. and then watching and seeing the nuance and the complication in there. Like, yes, Bucky has done bad things, but bad things have also been done to Bucky. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> can Bucky be redeemed? Should I afford that same mm. chance to Zemo? So it maybe I'm just being optimistic and trying to find it like I try to find it everywhere. But <laughs> <laughs> I kind of see it there. So Well, let's jump into question seven because I think that this <clears throat> we start to explore this in a little bit more depth. And, and, I'll, and I'll ask you this first, Hannibal. What do you think of T'Challa's character development in this film? What's different about his character at the end of the film than a, than when we see him at the beginning of the film? Now I see how I jumped the gun. Sorry about yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> what I really appreciate about seeing this is that to see someone uh, basically walk into a larger world than they had experienced. I mean, like I said, he had gone to college, but you know, he had never really experienced any loss. You know, Wakanda had never really lost much of anything before that Nigeria thing. And uh, for him to experience that and to come out of it on, in a more moral stance is, one, an enormously good sign for the people of Wakanda that his, his rule will be just and fair. And it's also a good sign for him as a character that he's able to grow and provide a heroic example, not just to the people in the movie, but the people in the audience. So seeing that, is very encouraging to me. Uh, uh, it, it also, in terms of, you know, as a creator, that I tell stories about people who are trying to be heroes, who people are making difficult decisions or, or have great power and the great responsibility that comes along with that. So to see people accept it for the first time in a multi-million dollar movie with a black face, with black people doing it, is very encouraging to me and my chances of being able to do it as well. So overall, from what I see on the screen and what I see as a businessman, I'm very, very happy with the development I saw in this film. And I believe, based on just the trailers, I'm going to see similar things because Ryan Coogler consulted uh, on Civil War. Everything that happened with T'Challa in that movie, Ryan was right there like, no, this is what you need to do with him. And they were like, oh, okay, let's do that. (laughs) So his fingerprints are very heavy in that film. And to see him un- uh, to not play the panther metaphor too far, unleashed is very <laughs> attractive to me. What do you think, Michael? What's your take? Um, I think T'Challa's character development is exactly, it's, it's the perfect example of a backdoor pilot. Any TV show that wants to do a backdoor pilot for some, some random spinoff, no matter what it is, needs to watch Civil War. Black Panther is technically sort of like a secondary character, but he gets, he gets lead treatment in it because you, you meet him, you find out who he is, you find out how he is, his general temperament, he loses something. In losing something, he has to change his mindset, he has to react, and he has to act differently. All of these things are handled extremely well while Captain America and Iron Man aren't getting along. Like, and he's actually incredibly crucial to the story because yes. without him, our only perspective of somebody on the outside of the Avengers watching this happen would have been Zemo. Thank mm-hmm. you. So they handled this 
his, it's almost, and I hate to say this because his father had to die for it, but he almost came into his own. It was almost like a coming of age story for someone who was already of age. Because it's not like, you know, he, you know, he was some like snot-nosed teen, but this also kind of, kind of like forced him out of the nest to be more than what he was. Because at first, of course, we were talking about, he just wanted revenge. You know, you kill my father, I want revenge. Um, but then by the end of the movie, his perspective changes. Um, while his perspective changes, he learns, you know, he learns more about the team. The team learns more about him. Us as viewers learn about Wakanda and learn almost through him what the standards of Wakanda are. So this, this is almost the perfect backdoor pilot for a character. I don't think I've seen one better. Um, now, of course, there's differences between film and TV, but this, if you're trying to spin off a character into another show, <laughs> they need to watch this. Because, I mean, we, we know who Black Panther is. Before the movie even comes out, we know who he is. We know what kind of man he is, and we know who, what he stands for. Um, there's no ambiguity about that whatsoever. Um, and I think, you know, big shout out to the Russo brothers, and I'm not sure if they also wrote this film or not, but they displayed it very well um, in Civil War as far as him just coming into his own and that's some, the character development was just top notch. Yeah. What do you think, Daryl? I'm looking at the, I've got the first trade of Reginald Hudlin's run on Black Panther here because I'm going to read something from it. But So I already talked about hope and redemption <laughs> in his character. I jumped right, the gun. Right. Sorry about that. But um, something I'm super interested in is to see what um, T'Challa's mindset after Civil War looks like when he gets back to Wakanda. So mm -hmm. I don't know how much time there's going to be in between the two movies. Right. But I feel like there's a little bit here in the comic here that I'll read that sums up Wakanda's sort of state of mind mm -hmm. against the rest of the world. Okay. So, um, so and this is actually T'Chaka speaking. It's T'Challa's father. Um so this guy says to him, your majesty, we'll pay whatever price you set for your goods. And he says, they're not for sale until the spiritual advancement of the West catches up to their technological prowess. It would be irresponsible to share our scientific discoveries with you. Mm. And the guy says, what? Are you calling everyone here irresponsible children? <laughs> and he says, no, more like sullen teenagers who feel more mature than their behavior warrants. The fact that every conversation here is framed in terms of profit and power says it all. You could have made you could have made half these breakthroughs yourself, but there's too much money to be made in misery. Why cure a disease when people pay for medicine, and then so on and so forth? So, mm -hmm. there's clearly a, a a standing superiority amongst Wakanda against the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. And if you read that, rightfully so, <laughs> but um, justified. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm just really intrigued to see. T'Challa after Civil War go back and kind of clash with his homeland you know uh, because not only is has he changed his mindset a little bit hmm. he's brought in a white guy from the rest of the world and put it put him under the protection of Wakanda oh yeah because he's uh he's got what uh with a soldier so yeah. he's technically harboring a war criminal sort of or or you could look at it as he stole one of the weapons of the West and he has it sitting waiting, ready to deploy it anytime he feels ah, like it. Yeah, yeah. So, and we don't know. So, like, I just can't wait to see what that, yeah. what, what it is, you know? 
because I'm sure him figuring out how to, you know, the, the words, you know, freight train, number one, whatever, whatever those words were. Biscuits. <laughs> whatever those <laughs> words were, it's probably not hard for Black Panther to figure out. So, you know, that's but hopefully they'll be clearing his mind and all that stuff by the time we get started. Yeah. So as it, when it, when it, as it pertains to his character development, um, I'm so stoked by it. Like, honestly, he develops better than any character, any other character in the film. And you're right, Michael. I think he is sort of like a pseudo secondary character, but he ends up being so cool that he is by far the best character in the film, in my opinion. Um, I think I always define a hero as someone who is willing to put aside um, their own desires in order to benefit either more people or to do the like the 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 morally good thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that that's where T'Challa is at the end of the film. In other words, at yeah. the beginning of the film, he goes, "I have the right for vengeance," and that's where he ideologically is at the beginning of the film. But then he gets tested. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, because he's ideolo- ideologically saying. I don't believe that a hundred people need to make this decision, and rightfully so, based on the history. Yeah. Um, that I was totally unaware of. So it, that actually adds to it for me. So he rightfully so has the ability to do the things that he wants to do, do the eye for an eye um, kind of kind of vengeance. And at the end of the film, though, I believe that he realizes that his vengeance is not right. Yeah. So, like, I mean, you said it, Hannibal. Morally, that is not the right stance. The the swift justice he would have executed on Winter Soldier, first of all, would have been wrong because mm-hmm. he would have gotten it wrong. He would have killed the wrong person. Um, but then when he finds the right person, he realizes that his justice isn't that man's death. Because if it's his justice, it's revenge. Yeah. And he wants true justice. And I just love that aspect of his character development. I think that that's masterful. For a film that's not even focused around him, he <laughs> is the best player in the film. Yeah. And a, uh, and a big shout out to how they handled, you know, Black Panther and how he was, you know, acted, directed, all that. Because, you know, like I said, I was not expecting it to be done this well. At least in, the, in Civil War. I was not expecting it to be done that well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if I'm being honest, like I don't know if anybody can even maybe Robert Downey Jr. can touch Chadwick's acting, right? <laughs> like, like his acting is amazing. Yeah. So I love that part of it. So I, I'm a big fan of his character development. I think that the character development is intentional. It's very intentional to say that this is a hero who even though he wants to be swift about things and even though he has a strong moral code, he can even recognize when that moral code is slightly shifting and go, you know what? I'm not as good as I could be. Which is so interesting because with that, the movie sort of subverts itself. Because, I mean, maybe it doesn't clearly pick a side Mm -hmm. as to whether Cap or Iron Man are right, but it certainly seems to slant towards Cap. I mean, it's a Captain America movie. Yeah. And it has the speech during Peggy's funeral where Sharon Carter says something to the effect of sometimes you have to plant your feet in the ground like a tree and Mm. say, you move. I'm not moving, you know. And that seems to be the big message they're putting out there to get you to be behind Captain America. But then T'Challa's over here completely subverting that. Yeah. And he's like, oh, no, I was wrong. 
I need to move. I need to change. Yeah. Well, all right. With that, there's there's a there's one question I have now for for you guys. Uh, and I guess Hannibal, start with you first. Are there times where revenge and justice align? Yes. Because you know, yes, you know, revenge is bad, but justice is good. So. Are there times where it's like, you know, yes, I know that I want revenge, but even though I'm getting my revenge, this is still a just, you know, punishment. Yes. Without question. That's uh, an easy question to answer because, you know, uh, in the same way that if a stop clock is right twice a day, that the idea of vengeance aligning up with justice uh, more than often is not too illogical to me. Um, the problem is, at least in Western society, as far as the history that I've been able to study through, you know, college and high school and whatever, uh, that it, in a larger organized sense, generally doesn't. That there's a, I, I keep hearing this quote that uh, on a long enough timeline, the, the uh, moral arc of history swings towards justice. Mm, I must not be looking at the clock very well because <laughs> I don't think we've caught up to that yet. Um, but I mean, in the same way that like, for instance, I'm driving uh, uh, here to get to get to this and I get cut off by this Prius. Right. And he jumps in front of me. Right. And I'm like, OK, sure. I get in the lane past him and his lane slows down as I knew it would because I know that freeway really well. And he then slams into somebody who hits their brakes too quickly and I'm cruising by him. Was that justice or vengeance? I, don't know. I liked it both ways. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can. Uh, to answer your question, I believe absolutely they can align. The question is how often and when. That's more of a question for fate. Oh, okay. What do you think, Joe? It's a, it's a great <laughs> question, Michael. Thank you. I don't know. It's hard because the outcome sometimes might align. Like Hannibal said, the stop clock is right, right. twice a day. You know, like, but <clears throat> I feel like when you come down to the motivation behind wanting vengeance or wanting justice, I feel like those are pretty different. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I actually, I was going to say almost the exact same thing. I think that they can align. I think for me, well, no, let me, let me put it this way. I don't think that revenge and justice can align. I think that the outcome can align but revenge is inherently i must do to someone else what was done to me or or i must elicit my my form of like like it's almost like i need a cathartic answer to the injustice that was done to me and i do think we need justice like there's no question justice is absolutely necessary but the two terms are are somewhat in conflict for me because i feel like uh, that justice should be possible without revenge. Now, <laughs> is it is it done that way? Mm. No, of course not. Like, <laughs> like Cannibal just described, it's not done that way. Um, but personally, I feel like there's there's in those in the description of those terms, um, there are some issues that relate to like what you're saying in regards to motivation. Yeah. Um, quick listener comment. Jamie says that revenge seems more interpersonal and justice more societal. Mm. What did you what what is your response, Cannibal? Okay. Well, I, I thought back to one of my favorite Public Enemy songs. There was a, a, a woman named Sister Soldier who said, two wrongs don't make it right, but it damn sure makes it even. And 
there is a school of thought that, oh, you shouldn't think that way. Oh, you should be nice and hug people and blah, blah, blah. I'm a douchebag, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but <laughs> um, from where I'm standing, again, looking at Tamir Rice, looking at Ezell Ford, looking at Michael Grant, looking at Eric Garner, looking at, you know, uh, uh, Sandra Bland, I'm okay with a little revenge. I could do with it. Sounds good to me. You know, the, the Marvel Nighthawk series, which David Walker wrote, had him taking on a Chicago police department. And when they crossed the line, he sought vengeance. Now, did that look like justice to the people who were harmed? Sure. Uh, and were they happy about it? Absolutely. Did that change what it was? No. Uh, motivations, this is one of, one of the things I tell my kids all the time. I tell them, I will very rarely ask you the question, why? The only one who knows, needs to know why is you. I'm interested in what, how. Let's deal with the details and the facts. Your motivations, that's all, that's all frippery. That's sophistry. I can't do anything with that. I can fix the things that happen. Those are the things where we're focused, and those are the things where we have to be because that's the world you live in. The world in your head is only you. Nobody else can get in there, and what happens in there doesn't matter to those people. So and I'll ask this question to you first, Michael, and then I want to get Hannibal's take as well. Um, what do you, how, does this, how would the same thing apply to the Punisher? Uh, I believe the Punisher ends up getting justice for a lot of people. Um, because, and of course, je you know, the Punisher is in kind of a comic book, so it's sort of a perfect world um, where, like, you know, he never gets, like, the wrong guy. He's always, well, I'm pretty sure in his lineage he's probably gotten the wrong guy before. But, you know, for the most part, it's, you know, people that are doing other people harm, AKA the mob or some gangs or, you know, maybe dirty cops or, or like even in the, um, in the Netflix series, uh, there was a, a guy, a pedophile or something like that, or, you know, people that are doing other people harm or that are terrorizing communities or, you know, individuals within said communities. So to him, it's like, oh, well, he's just this crazed gunman is just doling out vengeance everywhere but to the people that live in those communities that now the mob is gone it's got to feel pretty good it's got to they've they've got to breathe a lot easier to not have these guys in the neighborhood or coming into their store or, or you know stopping them on the way home or you know maybe mom and pop shops or something like that so to me the punisher and I've said this in, a, in another podcast that was, uh, I can't remember, I think it was Thought Crimes. I was like, Punisher is probably the closest to a real, and I mean, he's not a superhero, he's a human, but, you know, he would be the closest to, like, a superhero that we could get in real life. Like, you know, and I, and I made the statement of, you know, some ex-Marine guy or, you know, ex-Special Forces guy going out and possibly making some mob people disappear maybe some dirty cops disappear maybe or making you know making examples of them that would probably be the closest because i mean as far as i know there's nobody out there that can fly or has super strength or you know has like you know cyclops eye beams or something like that but there are people out there that has like you know super navy seal training or something like that and maybe they're sitting around and they're like hey this isn't i'm tired of seeing this or I live in this neighborhood and I'm tired of this group of people doing this and they come up missing. And when they come up missing, everybody in the neighborhood lives a happier life. So, I mean, could you say that's bad? But the Punisher has made a lot of normal, everyday working folks that are just trying to get through life 
feel a lot happier and breathe a lot easier. So that's got to be a win, at least in my opinion. Hmm. What do you think, Hannibal? Well, when you ask me about the Punisher, the first thing that leaps to my mind is uh, someone named Christopher Dorner, who was a fired Los Angeles police officer who began a series of shootings of policemen here uh, in the Los Angeles and the Orange County area, uh, who he said were crooked cops. Were they convicted? Was there any trials? No. But, you know, from my perspective, yeah, I'm probably going to believe he was probably right. Uh, so the Punisher is less a case of vengeance or justice in my mind and more a case of chickens coming home to roost. That, mm. uh, and I know this from one of my friends who's a Marine, that the government spends hundreds of thousands of dollars making these enormously lethal professional killers and then says, okay, go be normal now. And they're like, but I'm a gun. So I shoot people. They're like, no, 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 no. You used to shoot people. Now you sell cars or whatever, right? <laughs> and some of them like, okay, I guess I'll go sell cars. And some of them don't. <laughs> some of them don't adjust as well. So is the Punisher able to get justice for some people? Yes, absolutely. Uh, in some cases in the comic run, he's also, you know, cleared out a mob in a neighborhood which created a power vacuum, which meant a gang war happened and more people got killed anyway. Um, whatever. Uh, these, this is the nature of, of crime in the Western society. With as many bullets as we have available, they're going to fly. That's the way it works. Um, the Punisher is a, 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 an unholstered weapon that's been left out in the rain. And somebody's going to pick it up and somebody's going to shoot it. That's the way it works. If you leave a gun lying around, somebody's going to shoot it. Uh, that's not me saying that anything bad should happen to veterans because veterans have worked very hard to serve our country and to make sure that people have the freedoms that they live to fight for. And that's totally understandable. What is not understandable is the crappy way they're treated when they get home, the lack of support that they get, that these people were turned into something that nobody should be turned into and not given a fifth of the tools they needed to come back and be with the rest of us. And that's screwed up. So the Punisher, in his specific applications, can do certain things. I, I also, uh, it made me thought, I, I, when I wrote um, for the Top Cow Talent Hunt in 2012, in the first page, I had this gunrunner character, and he was selling sniper rifles and bulletproof vests to the Nation of Islam in Chicago so they could clean up their streets from a distance without any danger to themselves. And I know that there are bad actors in every type of community. I mean, in Grand Theft Auto, there's ones of multiple ethnicities, you know, that you can see out causing trouble or whatever. And those bad actors are a problem unless society comes up with a way to deal with them or unless there's some form of street justice of sorts to take them on. I don't know exactly how the mechanics of that work. I know that it doesn't work very well right now. I know there's significantly more harm based on my understanding of things being done than good. And I would not, if I heard that there was a Punisher, if I heard that there was Christopher Dorner, I certainly wouldn't have anything to say if they walked by me. Did you see him? I didn't see anything. Yeah, not after, not after cleaning up my neighborhood. Yep. <laughs> I don't have any, because I mean, you know, Punisher doesn't bother normal people. You know, he's not, he's not out there to, you know, he's not, he's not someone who's attacking both sides. You know, he, he knows who the bad guy is, and he's going after the bad guy only. Mm -hmm. And he um, has less collateral damage than the Hulk. Less collateral damage than, <laughs> you know, most here. Definitely Thor, who's a drunken maniac. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. You have a perspective, Daryl? Well, I, the only thing I was going to say is, um, you know, Michael, you talked about 
the people who were wronged by those he's killing feel, feeling a sense of justice from that um, which might be good for them but I, for me the question comes back to vengeance versus justice for him for Frank Castle for the Punisher himself mm-hmm. and I think I agree with Hannibal I think he's in this specific case he's such a broken person mm-hmm. that that question just might not exist for him <laughs> You know, Mm. Um, I definitely don't know that I would. I would cleanly say that everything he does is justice. Right. There's got to be there's definitely some injustice in what he does. And there's some vengeance and there's some straight up dysfunction and and. um, uh, Lashing out and, you know, but yeah, (laughs) gallows humor for sure. Yeah. I think I, I really liked what Jamie had to say. So uh, I don't have a clinical psychology background. I don't have the ability to say that, like, this is exactly what's going on in your brain and, and in your emotional state when this happens. But I actually believe that revenge is not good for you. Yeah. And I, and I believe that justice is. And I don't know how to reconcile those things. I totally understand um, where you guys are coming from with your opinions. But, um, and, I, and I'm not saying oh, that. Oh, you mean I'm like, like, okay, so you mean like like for the psyche, for the soul. Yes. After a while it wears on you. And okay, I can see that. Because, I mean, we Man. see it on Frank Castle, you know, all day, every day. Well, that's why I brought him up. <laughs> because I feel like he's the, he's the other perspective when it comes to Captain America Civil War and Black Panther's development, he's the other perspective. And I think that in that, and so again, not a Punisher reader. I watched the (laughs) series on TV. um, And I think in that series, there's a very intentional, very um, determined look at a man who is falling apart because his only knowledge is I need revenge. Now, is he doing some okay. good in that? I believe he's doing some good in that. Because like you guys said, somebody's got to clean up the streets. I totally agree. But to him and his own psyche, I think that it's actually negative. It's bad. We see the, the, the kind of the, um, the contrast with, and I'm not trying to uh, spoil <laughs> the Punisher uh, for anybody, but we see kind of the contrast, I think, in his... Um, in the, I can't remember the character's name, but he basically runs the uh, the group of veterans that is revealing like what they've done at, in war and oh, trying to yeah. like psychologically the medic guy. that. <laughs> exactly, the medic guy. And, and he is the guy that says like, look Frank, this is no good for you. Like this is not, this is not gonna help you out in your life. Um, and Frank never really gets over that hurdle. But I think like T'Challa does get over that hurdle. Yeah, and that's and that's what I really like about the character. Because at the end of the day, I finished watching the Punisher, and I go, "Yeah, some justice happened, but some some bad stuff has happening to Frank, and he's not reversing that stuff either." Yeah. But when you think about uh, when we were talking about heroes a little earlier, like you know, the hero being able to take on something or being able to do things that other people couldn't, he's taking on, even though it's it's you know wrecking him. He's taking on these demons. He's taking on this, you know, these feelings of like revenge and all this stuff and killing these people so that everyday people 
don't have to go and try to buy a, you know, buy a revolver to maybe in, in fear shoot some gangster that's shaking them down for money every paycheck, you know? So I guess in that way, he is a hero, even though he's not the most polished hero. Yeah, and, and, and that's a good point because he does. Again, my definition of a hero is someone who gives up of themselves to be able to help other people, even if it's a detriment to themselves. So I do believe that Frank Castle is displays some heroic tendencies, right? Like he's definitely doing some things that um, are causing him more harm than other people and putting himself in a place that's incredibly dangerous to his own life. Yes, but and Monty brings up a good point on YouTube. He says vengeance turns into a drug that eventually isn't good enough. Mm. And okay. <laughs> Monty, Monty with the wisdom, maybe. And that's <laughs> I see that in Frank Castle because yeah, he is he's taking out some bad guys and saving some good guys. Yeah, but well, is he well, is he putting himself in harm's way for those people, or is he putting himself in harm's way because he just can't feel well, that sense of being whole after his family was taken away from him. I do think he puts himself in 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 harm's way for the family that he's helping out. Uh-huh. He he takes. Some I haven't watched the show. So oh, <laughs> that's okay, my crutch. Okay, okay. Yeah, well, yeah, let yeah. me. Punisher in general is a guy with a gun who shoots bad guys. That's his, his shtick. And was he a hero when he enrolled in armed forces in the first place? And they made a platoon full of him, and then you know sent them out to do whatever they sent him back, and then sent him back. Or was he a hero when he put on a skull T-shirt and decided to shoot mobsters? Because I personally would much rather have Frank Castle have a sniper rifle than to be working at the post office. Because the anger <laughs> issues that he's going to have. There, Those know? two things might be the same thing eventually, though. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying <laughs> that you know, in that same sense that uh, that we talked about how T'Challa was raised to be a certain thing, that he was raised with certain moral things, raised to understand the challenges of power, that Frank Castle was, he had all that humanity and whatnot that we talked about was installed into T'Challa, stripped away. He was made into an inhuman killer who could do anything to anybody. And yeah. if that's the case, you know, the, her- the heroic thing was when he signed up in the first place, but for them not to fix him when he was done, I mean, that he never had a chance to do anything better. He- it was taken away from him. This is an awesome discussion. Um, I am going to start to close out the podcast, but I, before we do that, are there any questions from YouTube or Facebook that we want to address? We, we did have um, one. Um, actually, Monty just put one up. He says, that's why God strictly says it's mine, talking about vengeance, so that we don't lose ourselves as people with an imperfect moral versus a God who is the epitome of moral. Hmm. Okay, okay. Um. I, I do. I will throw out a question. Um, Hannibal's on the chat and on the podcast. He is. He's oh all over. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> double duty. I can't be stopped. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, I know that part of it because, like, Hannibal is probably one of the most hardworking people I know. He's, like, not he, – he, he hashtags nonstop, and that is the truth. <laughs> um, we did have a listener question come in a little while ago that I'll throw at you guys, Michael. Oh yeah, Hannibal. you guys can't do spoilers because I haven't seen this film. Yeah, I know what he's going <laughs> to so, ask me, so don't don't give me any spoilers. Yeah, so Jamie asks, um, the movie Get Out contained a really powerful visual representation of the marginalization of African Americans. Um, 
So again, like Jay said, he hasn't seen Get Out, so let's not talk specifically about Get Out. Oh, her, her question is <laughs> her question's about Black Panther. She says, what powerful impression do you hope Black Panther will make on audiences? Do you want me to go first? Or? Sure. Go for it. Go for it. I hope th- there's a couple, there's in industry and outside of industry. Um, in industry, I'm hoping that this opens the doors for more stories where people that look like me can be heroes, can be leaders of their own stories. Also, I hope that in industry, this gives more people that look like me a platform to tell their own stories Um, and shows that not only is you know, not only is it a relatable story to tell, but a viable story to tell and a valuable and a story that's worth telling. Um, outside of the industry, I hope that because, of course, the industry already knows and they've already seen and they're seeing now how powerful the black dollar is. I'm hoping that we as black people realize how powerful the black dollar is and start to support our own, like Hannibal or, you know, the, you got Cladalus Prime, you got, there's tons of, you know, uh, Marcel Dupree, or the, there's tons of, you know, black artists, writers, you know, filmmakers, whatever, that are doing their own thing that could use a dollar or two <laughs> if you've got it. Um, <laughs> uh, also outside of the industry, I just, I just want, little young boys and girls to see themselves on screen in a way they never have. Um, In mass, in media, we are usually seen in a negative light. There's something negative about it, whether, you know, it's arguing or fussing or fighting or going to jail or it's the gang episode or it's the prison episode. There's something, something negative. There's some type of negative connotation about it. In this case, we're seeing people that look like us in countries that would be considered uh, trash by some, I'll say that, Mm -hmm. Um, in a regal and very beautiful nature that has never been seen ever before. Uh, I can ask anyone, when you think of Africa and you think of what you've seen on TV, what do you think of? We all think of that that sad commercial with with a kid and they got a fly crawling on them or something, and that's all they ever have to give us. But now we have a view of Africa in a wonderful, beautiful light, and I hope that we all see that and we hold that close to us because even though it's a comic book, this might be the best representation of us on screen that we've seen in maybe ever and might not see for a while. Um, So what it means to see yourself like this is very important. And I don't think that you can fully conceptualize it until after you've experienced it and then put it into context with all of the other versions of yourself and all of the other versions of Africa that we've seen on TV or heard from politicians. I'll say that. What do you think, Hannibal? 
Well, uh, I cannot strongly enough endorse and support literally everything that Michael was saying because I was like, ah, oh, I was going to say that. Ah, oh, no, I was going to do that. <laughs> so, yeah, I totally agree with all of that. That, uh, you know, I hope that I, this lets me see Will, uh, that when the success of this movie comes out, that I know Michael B. Jordan took a lot of the money that he was using here to finance an independent film called Raising Dion, which is about a young black child who grows up with superpowers. Um, and you know, it's not a Marvel property, it's not a DC property. And I hope everybody who liked him as Killmonger follows him there and then follows to the next thing and to the next thing and the next thing. So yes, there's definitely that. Um, likewise to what Michael was saying, one of my good friends, uh, that I worked with this developer was, and he's also a bigger Thor fan than I am, uh, was from, Ni was from Nairobi. He's from Kenya. And when he talks about, when he talked about the way that people perceived him and what, when he talked about Kenya, he was like, I've never seen a hut in my life. I, you know, I live in a city, you know, and it's a big city with cars and traffic and, you know, internet and stuff that everybody's got here. It's just not here. It's hot and it's in Africa. So uh, the idea that their lives are not so different than ours is one thing that uh, I agree with Michael that I would definitely like to see. I, would, I remember in 1978 when uh, they said, you will believe a man can fly, that a lot of my classmates said, I will believe that, and I'll believe I could be flying. And I, from my standpoint, I felt like I was looking up at the sky. This movie will not let that happen. Ryan mm. Coogler will not let that happen here. And I'm very, very encouraged that that is happening on this scale. I'm very encouraged that right behind him, my good friend Ava DuVernay is coming out with Wrinkle in Time. Uh, and I'm very encouraged to see this wave of change happening. Uh, I'm a little concerned because after the last wave of change in the presidency things kind of went sideways uh but you know <laughs> take the check while it's on the table you got to do what you got to do uh, <laughs> so i definitely hope that uh things won't be as short-lived as that eight years of of quote-unquote hope and quote-unquote change that's awesome yeah um i'm super stoked for this film i am super stoked about this conversation yeah um this has been really really fun uh hannibal tell tell everybody uh one last time what's the easiest way for them to find you and check out all the stuff you're working on you can find everything you're looking for me at hannibaltaboo.com that's h-a-n-n-i b as in bounce a-l t as in tough a b as in bounce u i've had to spell it a lot dot com uh, you can also find me on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, and if you, it's still open, one of those other weird things, plurk, uh, <laughs> at Hannibal Taboo. <laughs> it's just uh, one word, no, uh, no umlauts or anything there. Yeah, and definitely go check it, check him out, check out all of his socials. Um, you will, you will get a lot of cool stuff out of that, and that's that's uh, something I highly recommend. Michael Young, where can people find you? All right, you can find me online, everywhere, uh, mostly on Twitter, but Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff, at One Youngster, which is O-N-E-Y-O-U-N-G-S-T-A. Uh, on YouTube, you can find me, just search Nerd Soul, one word, N-E-R-D-S-O-U-L. Um, and come on, hang out. Let's talk about, you know, let's see, what am I talking about this week? Star Wars, what the next animation series is going to be, some other stuff. So, yeah, just come on by. Let's talk about some comics and some geek stuff and have a good time. Absolutely. Well, that will do it for today's show. Um, fantastic discussion. I had a ton of fun. Um, yeah. And I'd like to personally thank Hannibal and Michael for joining us. Yeah, thank you, you guys. Welcome. You're Happy welcome. To be here. You're welcome. 
Um, don't forget to subscribe. Leave us a comment on our blog or on YouTube. And before I close this out, we've been wanting to read iTunes reviews. So I'm going to read yeah. an iTunes review. Uh, this iTunes review comes from Audiofile, O-D-D-E-O-F-Y-L-E. Um, and it is, yeah, it's very clever. Uh, it took me a while to figure out what it was, actually. Uh, the title is Deep Thinking Geeks, Yes. And it is a five-star review. This podcast takes some of the most beloved fandoms and dives deep into the stories. Deep has, like I think, like 12 E's. Um, dives deep into the stories, themes, and messages in them. I love that I'm not alone in wanting to unpackage and examine the heck out of geek stories. Jay, Daryl, and the variety of guests speak my language. So thank you, Audiophile. We appreciate yeah. that. Um, if if you leave us an iTunes review, we will read it on a future episode. I'm going to be very diligent about this. I'm going to change it so that I'm actually doing that every time. <laughs> um, and uh, if you want to reach Professor X levels of influence, please share your favorite The Story Geeks episode on social media. Make sure you tag us, hashtag The Story Geeks or The Reclamation Society when you do. Links to everything we've talked about today are in the show notes. Um, I'll even include uh, when this goes out on YouTube or when it goes out in the uh, podcast format, I will also include links to Hannibal's website and Michael's website. Um, so, and we want you to check out the exclusive, exclusive content on Patreon. I've talked about it already. Just head over to www.thestorygeeks.com. And as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories and always seek the truth.